hands up Never runs out on me He never fails He never gives up Never runs out on me He never fails He never gives up Never runs out on me that it never fails, Lord. We thank you that we can hold on to it and it is a cornerstone that will not be shaken. We thank you that nothing can get in the way of your love for us. So God, we just love you back right now. We just give this time into your hands, Lord. Speak to our hearts, Lord. Show us your love. Remind us once more, Lord. And help us love you back, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, can we pray for you? We'd love to be able to pray for you, and you can share with us prayer requests on our website, www.arendale.org. Just scroll down to the bottom of the page, and there's a, a place there where you can submit prayer requests, or if you have any uh, questions or you just want to reach out to us, you can uh, do it there through our website. But I'm uh, just thinking, especially right now, of prayer. If there's a need that you have, maybe a burden that you're carrying and, and you really need um, the people of God to lift you up or maybe a dear loved one up before the Lord. We'd love to be able to do that. So uh, go to our website, www.arendale.org. Scroll to the bottom of the page and you can submit your prayer requests there. And I can guarantee you that uh, you will be prayed for. Well, welcome, Arendelle Bible Chapel family. Um, I am not Ross Kearney. I'm a little taller, but not as good looking. Um, my name is Nick Huesberg. For you who do not know me, I'm the, family, the new family pastor here. And me and my wife, Emily, are really excited to be with you all um, and get to join you guys. Oh, you're right there, Ross. You surprised me. Um, but we're excited to be here. Uh, it's just to get to know me a little better. I mean, my wife, me and my wife have been married for about five years as of March. Uh, we met when we were both going to school in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, she liked me, which is amazing. And then she got to know me, and she still liked me. And it's even more amazing that she still loves me five years later. Uh, me and my wife about at last lived in San Diego, California, where I was uh, basically a family pastor there, too. And about nine months ago, we uh, felt the sense of calling to that our time in San Diego was coming to an end. About five or four or five months after that, we felt, both felt the call to come up to Canada and to move up here. And my wife is originally from Kitchener. And after that, I got, a hold, got connected with Ross and Elias. It was really Elias that got me bought in and really wanted me to come here. I just enjoyed talking with him. He's just a humble man. And um, quickly after that, within a month and a half, I think maybe two, we uh, have been offered the job here. And during that time, the Lord was working in our hearts, and the timing um, was very clear. That this is where God wanted us to be. And so we are excited to be here. I'm excited to get to serve you all. I've done youth ministry for about seven years, um, specifically family ministry for three of those seven years. So I'm excited just to get to work with the different um, age groups. I love talking to everybody. I love talking sports. Um, I am a diehard Dodgers fan, and I got a Blue Jays hat for Ross to make him feel better. Uh, but um, I will be a Dodger fan until I die. I'm still picking a hockey team, so if you guys can show me, uh, direct me in those paths, that would be 
Awesome. As I um, began to come here and to think through uh, what I wanted to preach, Ross gave me the freedom, which is honestly kind of scary. Freedom to preach whatever you want. I'm not a very creative person, and so I got kind of nervous. And I began praying, Lord, what do you want me to preach? And he goes, preach something you preached before. I'm like, okay, you make it even more harder. So I began praying, just thinking, Lord, what do you want me to preach? And I go, I can preach something I'm going to do amazing at. And I said, okay, but then I'm going to set their hopes up way too high. I can't do that. Uh, I can preach something I just preached recently. I could do that. And as I begin to pray, I begin to think about God. What, what do I want them to know about me? And then I began to think through just messages. I kept thinking through passages. And I finally came to Ephesians 1. And why did I come to Ephesians 1? First of all, Ephesians 1, 3 through 14 is one of the most um, marvelous passages in the Bible about God's love and hand over our lives. But you move past 3 through 14. You get to, you get to chapter, I mean, the verses 15 through 23. And that's where we'll be at in Ephesians chapter 15 through Chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. And I begin to read, and what we see here in this passage is a prayer request. It's kind of funny that that was right behind me, prayer request. But it's a prayer request that Paul has for the church at Ephesus. And he prays for these things. He prays for these specific things for the church at Ephesus. And so when I began thinking, what do I want to preach my first time as you get to meet me? First of all, this is probably the first time some of you guys have seen my face. Sorry, I'm not as good looking as Ross probably told you I was. Um, I want to say, I want to make a promise to you all. And I would ask that you make a promise to me. That this would be a prayer that you guys would have for me and my wife. As I promise to have this prayer for you all and for your kids, for your teenagers, and for you personally. So when I decided to preach this, I said, I want this to be what I start my ministry on, is this type of prayer. I can do many things good, like be kind of funny and jokey. Um, I can do many things bad, like be organized. Um, But one thing I can't fail is to pray for you all. And you can't fail to pray for me. So we're going to go into this, and I'm going to pray real quick over this message. And I want us to see, not not that we need to pray more, but to give us categories in which to pray for each other that Paul prays for the church at Ephesus. So let me pray real quick, and we'll be going. Lord, as we come into your word, may we uh, come with open hearts as we look at who you are and what you're about, Father, we ask that you would reveal yourself in a greater way to us today. Um, As we sit next to fellow church members, as we have people online listening, and people hurting, people suffering, people um, struggling just with what life is about, Lord, reveal yourself. Father, this is something I cannot do except for teaching your word, but Lord, you reveal yourself. You enlighten the hearts of people so that we might see you in a clearer light. And I pray that you would do that today. May the power of the Spirit work in our hearts that we might love you greater and trust you more as we leave this place. pray this in your son's name. Amen. I'm going to read this prayer from a man named Jeremiah Burroughs. Lord, you have given me a portion in the world. You have given me credit and a reputation among others. But what, all, what is all of this to me if I am without Christ? 
If I do not have one who gives grace to my soul, the one who is my all in all, Lord, you have taught me this day that the distance between you and me is so great that without a mediator, I will perish forever. So whatever else you deny me in this life, only give me Jesus. Amen. Jeremiah Burroughs was a pastor out of England in the uh, 17th century. He was was in the age of the Puritans. Puritans were known for their deep-seated prayer life. The book this came out of is called Piercing Heaven, Prayers of the Puritans. I I recommend it heavily. I read it every single morning as I begin my devotions. And I read one of their prayers because um, the Puritans knew something that we've kind of left behind. And it's this idea of being dependent on God. When I go home, I want water. I turn on the faucet. It might not taste the best, but I will not get sick and I can drink it. When I go home, I open up my cupboards. There's food. If I get sick, I go to the hospital. The Puritans didn't have this. And not only did they didn't have this, they faced mass persecution by their own government, which led many of them to fled to the Americas. The Puritans did all of this for their walk with the Lord because they knew that that was the most important thing in their life and they became dependent on God. The Puritans understood the regular need for God in their lives in dealing with sin, in dealing with health issues, dealing with death, dealing with the need to depend on Him for the day-to-day necessities. The Puritans had a deep view of God, understanding how much he, they relied on him. They understand that they, he understood the deepest desires in the heart and that he was the cure for the troubles of their souls. And they understood something that many modern Christians have lost is that the ultimate need of us is to know God. The ultimate need in our lives is not um, simpler lives, not comfortable lives, is to know God. So we come into this prayer of Paul's. And like I said already, I hope is not to give you a guilt trip, hey, pray more, because I don't think that's helpful. What I want to do is I want to give you categories in which you can pray for me and I can pray for you because um, it's easy to pray when you have categories to put things in. You don't always know what's going on in the members, the fellow church members. You don't know what's going on with the person sitting, I would say next to you, but two rows, six, uh, two meters, is that right? Three meters away from you. You might not know, but you can know how to pray for them. You can know how to pray for me. You can know how to pray for Ross. You can know how to pray for the elders of um, Arendelle Bible Chapel because Paul has given us direction of how to pray. So for you type A personalities, um, here are my points for today that you can write down, and then uh, I will um, build upon them. So the main point is we should pray constantly for our fellow Christians, and the three ways that sh- I mean the four ways that should bump, bring itself out is first um, that they would grow in their wisdom and knowledge of God. So as we pray for our fellow Christians, is that they will grow in the wisdom and knowledge of God. Secondly, that their hearts would be enlightened. That their hearts would be enlightened. And that comes actually actually out in these three ways. That the hearts would be enlightened in these three ways. of The hope of his calling. Um, that they would see that they are God's inheritance. The hope of their calling. And that they would see that they are God's inheritance. And that they would see the power of God within them. With that, let me begin reading. This is Ephesians 1, verses 15 through 23. 
For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glory, glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the work of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and demean and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in also the one to come, And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. I mean, I could stop right there and just say amen and be done. We're going to go have lunch. But Paul, the Apostle Paul just finished, like I said, one of the greatest sentences in the Bible. He reminds the Christians of Ephesus what it means to be in Christ. That we were chosen before the foundation of the world to be sons and daughters. We were redeemed from the penalty which our sins deserve. Bought with the precious blood of the perfect Lamb, Jesus Christ. We have now been included into the eternal plan of God to bring about a new creation. And through that plan, he has made us sons and daughters of the God Most High, the Father of Fathers. And we can now have a promise We have now been promised the Holy Spirit to assure us of that truth. And for this reason, because all of that is true, Paul's grounding this upcoming section on the previous truth that he just said, that the church of Ephesus has been chosen, that they're children, and they are redeemed. Because that is true, I'm so thankful for you all. When's the last time you were just so thankful for the salvation of your friends, of your kids, of you? How amazing it is that a dead person is now alive, as Ephesians 2 says, as John 3 says, that uh, someone, that we are born again, that that miracle happened in our heart. Paul's thankful for the church at Ephesus that they are saved. And that they love one another. And what does that lead him to do? And which is really interesting, the church at Ephesus, I mean, it's like the all-star church. I mean, you have an all-star team. Like, the Dodgers are an all-star team. I'm sorry to say it. Like, they're really good. But they're an all-star church. So they were founded when Paul was one of the ones who founded the church. He then left them. He, like, chose the, the leaders of the church. He then left them his protege, Timothy. And later on, um, John is known to be in the church. I'd be kind of nerve-wracking to be just a new little pastor in that type of church. You want to talk about a faithful church? Ephesus is going to be a faithful church. They had the right criteria. They had the right leaders. So why is Paul worried about them? Shouldn't he be praying about the Corinthians? Because we all have heard the problems with the Corinthians. And Paul goes, no, we're going to pray. I'm going to pray for the church at Ephesus. Why? Because he understands the, what is at stake. And he understands who they are against. What's at stake is the truth of the reality that eternity is at stake. And also the reality that our evil, I mean the evil against us is a spiritual darkness that is beyond anything that we can control. The worst thing we can do is underestimate our opponent. 
the worst thing we can do is underestimate how important it is to pray. In um, December 16, 1944, um, the beaten down Germans lost, uh, launched their last major offensive of the World War II. This was known as Operation Mist. This was an attempt to push the Allied front line west from northern France to northwestern Belgium. Also more frequently known as the Battle of the Bulge. The Germans threw about 250 of thousands, sorry, not 250,000 soldiers into this area known as the Ardennes. It's a forest in France. The Americans and the Allied forces felt like this could not be penetrated. It was at 80 miles. And this not only could not be penetrated, it was in deep, deep fog. And so the Allies did not wor- worry about that. They were like, okay, this is unpenetrable. This is too strong of an area for the Germans to take down. And so what did the Germans do? They went and they attacked that area. They pushed them back. And they used uh, many different tricks. Um, they used U.S. Army um, um, clothing to trick the Allied forces. They used U.S. Army um, cars, trucks to trick the forces. They deceived them and they hit their weak spot because the, uh, the Allied forces thought that there was a certain area that they could not penetrate. Church, there's areas in our family that you think that are unpenetrable and usually that is where the devil is going to hit the quickest and the hardest because he knows if he can take them, he can take anyone. And we must not think that any of us None of our leaders, none of our elders are invulnerable to an attack. There is not one person here too strong to take on the adversary, um, the devil. Ephesians 6.12 says this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Do you believe, do I believe, that I am capable of falling without prayer? Until you believe the seriousness of the adversary. Until we believe the seriousness of the forces against us. Until we see that the attack, you will never survive on your own. You'll never be sent to pray because you think in our strength we can do this on our own. And what's interesting as we get into this passage, sorry we aren't there yet. Um, as we get into this passage, you're going to realize that this is all the work of the Spirit. It's not the work of our own strength. It is the work that Paul is asking to be done by God to strengthen his leaders, to strengthen the church at Ephesus because he knows that they can't do it. So Paul says, I pray. And what does he pray? And this is where I go to my category. So it's easy for me to say, pray constantly, pray constantly, pray constantly. And you're like, Nick, let me just end this right now. I can at least go to lunch a little bit early. I know what you're about to say. This is our categories I want to give you. I want to give you these categories so you can pray for me, you can pray for Ross, you pray for your kids, you pray for the people behind you, in front of you. And here are the categories. And I'll say them again. And first he prays that they might be given spirit-led wisdom and knowledge of God. Spirit-led wisdom and knowledge of God. And then he prays that their eyes of their hearts would be opened to see the hope in their calling, the glorious riches of his inheritance among them, and the unimaginably great power they have. Again, for your type A verse, now this is the second time I've given you a list. Hopefully it helps you as you follow along. About a year ago, um, my wife and I began to host a small group in our 800-square-foot apartment. Small group, you call them growth groups here. I've been in community groups, family groups, Sunday school. I've done everything. 
I mean, it's all the same thing. I'm sorry, Ross. He probably thought that name was really cool, too. Actually, I do like it. I really do. I've never heard growth groups anywhere. But we were hosting a, 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 what was it? I think it was called a small group. No, they were called community groups. They were hosting a community group at our house. And the community group was a very typical thing. Fellowship, you hang out, you talk. How are the Dodgers doing? How are the Angels doing? How's the weather? Typical beginning of our, our community group. Then it goes to a little bit of study. We did our study. I don't know what we were studying. I apologize. I probably should be a better leader. We began to do our study. And at the end, it would come to prayer requests. And we had, we had about 13 people in our 800-square-foot apartment, which is pretty cool. Um, and we began to do prayer requests. And we got the normal prayer requests. Pray for my aunt's dog. She go, he goes to the vet tomorrow. Yeah, pray for Fluffy. Um, pray for my test tomorrow. I mean, I'm kind of nervous awesome. And we went around and finally got to this one guy, 26 years old, a good buddy of mine. He was new to the group and he asked to pray to read his Bible more. And honestly, I know he was just trying to come up with something to pray for. But we began, we ended the night, everyone left me, my wife began to talk. And I think she said this, so if she says I didn't, I don't know, I remember it in my head. And it was like, that was the most honest prayer request we had all night. I know this guy. He's a buddy. Like I said, he's a good friend. He probably just came off of the whim. I don't know. But he really asked, I want to read my Bible more. And what was that? What was he really asking? I mean, reading the Bible is one thing, but what is he really asking in that question? He's asking, I want to know God more. See, when you read your Bible, it's not a checklist. It's not something we just do. We read our Bible so that we may know God. And so when Paul comes to this, he begins to pray and he begins to ask for certain things. He says, I want the church at Ephesus to be given spirit-led wisdom and knowledge of God. Spirit is the governing factor. Spirit is the leading factor. Spirit is the power. It's like the fuel that kind of makes the fire a little bit hotter. It's the fuel that keeps the car going. It's the spirit doing the work. And he asks for wisdom and knowledge of God. In the wisdom. So what is wisdom? That's a great question. I had to ask it myself. When we see wisdom in the um, Spirit-given wisdom, usually the Spirit is giving the power to believers to say the right words or perform the right actions that display godliness or honors God. So we say good things, we act a certain way. Wisdom usually is what dictates that. We see this in uh, Luke 21.15 when Jesus is talking. He says, For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. And Peter, talking about Paul, this is what he says about Paul's writings. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him. We see wisdom, in the, uh, we see wisdom literature in the Old Testament. One of my favorite psalms is Psalm 1. That chapter is about following God, following his, his law, loving his law, following who God is, and saying if you do that, you will live this life of, of flourishing, of, of wisdom, of love. And so when we see wisdom in the Old Testament, Paul's praying for spirit-led wisdom. He's acting that you would act, like you would be given a certain actions and words that honor God. So when we pray, what does this look like in a, a day-to-day basis? What does this look like when you go home? We pray that our words, we pray that the church's words will honor the Lord. So when you're talking, so let's say we're going to a growth group and we understand that one person is struggling, one person's dealing with maybe depression or anxiety, maybe one person is just leading, lost their job. When we go, when we talk to them, we know we're going to have a conversation with them. How many times do we pray, God, Spirit, give me the wisdom to say words to this person to encourage them? 
Lord, give me wisdom to talk to my kid who I know who is in trouble right now, and I know I have to discipline, but how should I do it in a way that brings honor and glory to you? Lord, give me wisdom to bring you honor in whatever I do. God, please give me the words to say and the actions to do that bring you most glory, most honor, most power. And it's a spirit-led thing. Obviously, it's grounded in the Word of God. I don't want to say just you believe in the Spirit. And you know, you're grounding yourself in the Word of God. But the Spirit-led thing, and it helps you to come up with the words. It helps you to come up with the actions to do what you need to do to honor the Lord. You pray. When you're going over to the house, I mean, it's always, I mean, when you become a Christian, it's just a unique thing. You go over to your relative's house, and definitely when they know you're a pastor, um, they just treat you differently. Like, I don't know why, it just is. And you're, and you're going to go, and you're going to talk, and you, some of you guys are laughing because you know exactly, I mean, I literally, uh, I won't go there. Um, and it's just awkward. But God has put you in their life. And you go, before you go, pray, Lord, give me the wisdom to talk as I should talk. Because there's no verse in the Bible to, to say, hey, how do you deal with your cousin who just flipped you off because he thought it was hilarious? Like, how do you deal with that? But Lord, give me the wisdom to deal with it. Spirit-led wisdom. Spirit-led knowledge. Revelation of the knowledge of him. So he's prayed for wisdom. Now he prays for spirit-led knowledge. When we hear the word revelation, we kind of can think of visions or special words written in the sky. Lord, I just want a revelation from you. I just want you to write the words in the sky, who I should date. Welcome to high school and college ministry right there. Who should I date? I just want, if I'm going to open up the Bible, I'm going to point to a word, and this is going to be the first name of their name. No, it's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying God revealing himself in his word, doing it in a special way where it's clearer now today than it was yesterday. And we pray that for each other because it's God's word that strengthens us. It's God's words that give us the knowledge of who he is, what he's about, and that how, what he is for you and what he is for me. And we go to God's word. We need to know who he is. We need to grow in that knowledge. And so we pray. Spirit. Do we, I mean, we've been there, right? I mean, how many times have I read through Romans 8? I mean, I mean I've done enough Bible reading through the Bible of the whole year. I got past Leviticus a couple times. I mean, I made it to the end. And so, I mean, and I go to Romans 8 and I read it and I got past it because it was a one-day thing and I'm, I'm in a hurry that day. But this last three or four months, I was in Romans 8 and God just showed me something different. Something I read. We've both been there. We've, we read the same thing over and over and over but that one time, that one moment, you read it, and you're like, wow. When I was um, in college, I don't know how I did this. Until I got to college, I didn't wear glasses. And I had horrible vision. Literally, I had to sit in the front row of every single class. And I played baseball. Like, how in the world did I hit a baseball and I couldn't see? Miracles happen. But I got to college, and I was playing outfield, and I just kept missing fly balls. Didn't see them at all. Ball would be hit. Right over my head. No clue was coming to me. Realized I can't see. And so I went to the doctor. I went to the optometrist and got glasses. And I just remember that first time. I, 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 they put those little, they went, what's this? Is this better? Is this better? Is that better? And I'm like, I'm so nervous right now. I'm a performance-driven person. I want to make sure I get the answer right. And finally it got clear. And I was like, this is how people see? It's amazing. And it really didn't hit me until I got home that night. And I looked at the sky. And for the first time in my life, I saw the stars as clear. Before that, stars were just a bunch of mush in the air that had these lights all everywhere. And there. 
but I saw the light, the stars as clear. And, and when we pray for our, our fellow members of our church, when we pray for our fellow family members, we pray for the people around us, we pray that, God, would you make your word clear to them, that they can see you. Because this is a spirit-led thing. I could read enough books on theology. I can read enough books on who God is and what he's about. I can read enough books on the Bible. But until I know God and he reveals himself through his word to me, there's a difference between knowing and knowing. You guys know my wife's name, but you guys don't know Emily. I know Emily. She knows me. And there's a difference between that. Do you know God or do you know of God? And family, church family, knowing God is what will sustain you. Knowing God is what will keep you going. Knowing God is what will give you that spirit-filled fuel to keep walking one day after another. The knowing God is what will allow you to withstand the flaming darts of the devil. The knowing God is what will keep you when suffering is difficult, when a family member is lost, when a kid is wayward. Knowing God is what will keep you walking forward in this life. Nothing else. I can be as practical as me. I can give you four steps on how to have a better marriage. But if knowing God is not at the beginning, then it is worthless because there is no fuel to the fire. There is no... Fire, fire would be so much better for that one. There's nothing going to keep you going on knowing God is not at the root of it. When I come here and I was talking to um, Ross and Leanne and some of the people, and I began to just share my view of kids' ministry, how I think kids' ministry should be ran, how I think, what, the, what should they be taught? And I told him, I said, we can tell him to be a good kid all day long, but what good is that going to do when they get to school and their homosexual friend is talking and they go, I disagree with this, but I don't know why. And they go, your God is hateful. I go, my God's not hateful, but I don't know why. But when they go, my God is loving and caring. I can't answer all your questions, but I know my God. I know the God of the word. My parents have been praying for me. That This is being revealed to me. I have my eyes opened. I can answer them and say, yeah, we might not have all the answers. My God is loving and caring. And he actually loves and cares for you too. That's who my God is. And that's who the God of the Bible is. Because I know him. You may know of him. You may have heard stuff on the TV about him. You've maybe watched movies about him. But you don't know him. I know him. That will be the strength to keep going. So Paul prays that they be given spirit-led wisdom, spirit-led knowledge of God. And then he kind of breaks down that spirit-led knowledge and kind of puts it into three different categories. And these three different categories are this. Where are we at? Paul next prays that they have their eyes of their hearts enlightened. So he asks, give them knowledge and then enlighten their eyes to see. Allow them to have this revealed to them. Open up the blind spot so they can get this. And what's really interesting about this next three categories is he does not say, figure this out, get better, have a better handle on this. What he says is, open your eyes to see what you already possess. Open your eyes to see what you already own as a child of God. Open your eyes and have this be seen that this is yours. And this is what he first says. Hope. The hope of his calling. 
The word hope here, we actually see um, used with one meaning in very two different directions within the New Testament. We have Acts 6.19 where he says, But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. That story is about these, these people who own this girl who was demonically possessed. She can, feel, she can tell time. She can tell fortunes. Sorry, not tell them. <laughs> I can tell time. Um, she can tell fortunes, and they were making money off of her. And then Paul and Silas pray, and the demon comes out. And they take them to jail because the hope of their gain is now gone. And then we see another, the an exact opposite view is now in Acts 23.6, when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried to the council, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, son of Pharisees, and it is respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. Hope is the current trust or faith in something to bring about a greater future. Hope is the current trust or faith in something. To bring about a greater future, you all have hope in something. Whether it is in your kids making it to some great school, whether it is having the perfect job, whether it is having a 401k with so much money in it, whether it's owning a house, we all have hope in something that will bring a greater future for us if we just put our trust in it. And, and this person that was making money off the demonic girl, their hope was that they would continue to get money, that they would continue to have security, that they continued to have wealth. And Paul goes, no, my hope is not in wealth. My hope is not in being a Pharisee anymore. My hope is in the resurrection of the dead. And specifically here in verses, um, in verses 15 through 23, he says, his hope of his calling. The hope of his calling. So first of all, before we go with that hope, we understand what hope is. Um, there's two different ways to go with hope. It's like a trampoline in a, in a bed. Kids, I mean, we have kids probably on, sorry, I haven't gotten my camera over here yet. We have kids here, we have kids on the live stream. How many of you like jumping on your bed? How many of you like, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. We like jumping, it's fun, right? But do you know what's confusing about jumping on your bed? Is that you're allowed to jump on a trampoline, but not allowed to jump on your bed. They're both fun, Right? They both bounce you pretty high. They both do a good job. But you can jump on your bed, but not jump on a trampoline. Why? One was meant to handle the pressure. The other one wasn't. There's two different types of hopes in this world. One can handle it. One cannot. And the one that can handle it is the hope of his calling. And he's going back to the first, uh, first thir- verses 3 through 14 where he says, You are redeemed. You are bought. You are a son and daughter of God. This is who God has called you to be. This is the calling he has for you. And now your hope is in that. Your rest is in that. Your trust is in that. If you believe in that, you have a greater future than a 401k that has dealt with well. You have a greater trust in that than a job that is secure. You have a greater trust in that than a kids who are the perfect looking kids. Because that brings about a greater future because you believe in that. It can handle the pressure. The cross can handle the pressure of having your hope in it, but nothing else can. Everything else will eventually break. Comfort will break. Security will break. Patience will break. Whatever it is, everything else will break, but his cross will not. When Jesus died on the cross, he said, I can handle you. I can handle your brokenness. And he rose from the dead proving that truth. What do you have your hope in? I promise you, we all have hope in things besides the cross. It just looks differently. 
And we pray that God enlightens our hearts, that we might see that, but then we might see the cross even more. Remember, it's already yours. You don't have to figure it out. It's already yours. You just have to possess it. His calling has already been given to you. His death on the cross has already been given for you. The choosing you before the foundation of the world, knowing how messed up you're going to be, has already been chosen for you, has already been given to you. Do you possess it? And we pray. Because this is a spirit thing. This is an enlightening thing. This is something that the work of God has to do. Are we praying for each other that this would happen? That Ross tomorrow will see the Lord in a clearer way. That Elias will see the Lord in a clearer way. That I would see the Lord in a clearer way. That my hope would not be in this job. My hope would not be in you liking me. My hope would be in the cross. Will you pray that for me? He next goes and he talks about this. He says, we pray that we can see the riches of his inheritance he has in us. Very interesting right here. The riches of his inheritance he has in us. When I first read this for like the first three or four days, I'm like, oh, awesome, my inheritance, my inheritance, my inheritance. And I kept going in that direction until I really read it and I really thought about it. He goes, no, it's God's inheritance he's talking about. It's God's treasure he's talking about. And Paul goes, I want you to see that you are God's treasured possession. What an amazing reality. That Nicholas Husterberg, a sinner, a hater of God, is the apple of his eye. And he proved that so much by sending his son to the cross for you. Knowing how evil you would be. Knowing how much you would hate him. Knowing how many idols you would have before and after salvation. Knowing all that, he sent his son to die for you. That you might be his, his inheritance. That you might be his treasure. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. I know we try not to bring honor and focus to ourselves in our relationship with God. It feels just kind of weird. But when the Bible says, you're his treasured possession. This is how much he loves you. We recognize it and we own it. Remember, you're son and daughter of God. It's you. Your, your father owns a cattle on a thousand hills. Do we possess that? Do we own it? There's a leader, there's a guy who's like a leadership guru named Simon Sinek. I don't know if you guys have heard of him. If you're a leadership leader in anywhere, Simon Sinek has some good stuff. Not a Christian at all. Not a Christian at all. But his stuff is gold. A lot of it's just Christian ideas. But Simon Sinek says this. He talks about why most people in leadership positions are bad leaders. He goes, most people in leadership positions are bad leaders because they don't show empathy or care towards the people they are leading. So, eventually, the only way a leader gets things done is out of fear. He goes, our modern culture um, um, puts people in leadership who do stuff well. If I, I am the one at the job who does the most performance, I get the highest goals, I meet all my, my targets, I'm the one who's now the leader. Simon Sinek says that's wrong. A leader needs to be caring, needs to be empathetic, needs to show love, sacrifice for the people who are underneath him. Because people are much more willing to follow out of love than out of fear. That's why overly strict and harsh parents usually leads to kids who are rebellious. Overly strict parents leads to rebellious kids because they've led out of fear. The kids feared them, so they followed them. But when you lead out of love, sacrifice, 
care. People are more willing to follow. And now, now, now bring this back. Now bring this all forward. You are God's treasure to possession. He loves you. He sent his son to die for you. Now how do we follow him? We follow him as a loving son would give to a loving father who sacrificed everything for him, who cares for him more than anything else. And then when we suffer, when we know that the God who is sovereign, God who controls all, God who loves also, and then we suffer, we can trust that God who loves me and was willing to sacrifice all for me He has my best interest for me. See, the problem with a bad leader is their best interest is for themselves. But God's best interest is for me. And for him. Because when God's best interest is met, my best interest is met. God is most glorified in me when I am most satisfied in him. John Piper says that. Because when I am satisfied in God, it is best for me and it is most glorious to him. So we are treasured God's treasure possession. It's already ours. We already know it. We already possess it. Do you understand that? We pray that our people see that because if they don't see it, they follow God out of fear and out of trepidation and not out of love. But you're loved by God. Your is inheritance that was bought by the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. Finally, we pray that we see the power of God that is in this. And this section's long. And he goes and he begins by saying, hey, this is the power that's in you. Then he begins to explain how great that power is. That's the same power that rose Jesus from the dead. That's the same power that has now seated Jesus on the right hand of the Father. That's the same power that resides in you today. And we pray that we see it because we feel powerless. In a broken, fallen world where cancer can take our bodies down, where suffering can take our bodies down, where job loss can make us depressed, where things can take us down, we have a Father in heaven who gives us the Holy Spirit as our helper that we might have the power to overcome. It's yours. And we pray that you see it. And why do we pray that you see it? Because it's a supernatural thing that that happens, that you can see it. It not comes on by strength. It's not coming on by reading the newest theology book. It comes on by the Holy Spirit opening and clearing your eyes. Like me putting my glasses on for the first time and seeing the stars, how beautiful they are. It's like that. You read God's word on a daily basis so that it happens and we pray that God reveals himself to us. All of these three last points rest in the idea of knowing God for to see God's power, you first must know God. To see the inheritance which is laid out for you, you first must know God. To grow in the Spirit-led wisdom and understanding of God, you first must know God. Do you know God? Or do you know of God? Are you growing in your knowledge of God? Or are you just growing in some knowledge and facts of God? And as a church family, we pray that we are growing to see God in a greater light. And I ask that you would pray that I would see God in a, grow, in a greater light. That you would pray for your leaders, your deacons, your elders, the men and women of the church, that they would grow in the knowledge and love of God so we might shine. If you're a history buff, you might know that despite racking up 75,000 Allied casualties, Germany would eventually lose at the Battle of the Bulge, which led to their surrender a few months later. They simply did not have the manpower to keep up their attack. And EBC family, how much more true is this for us? Despite the devil trying to rack up as much casualties as he can, he has already lost the battle at Calvary. When Jesus died on the cross, he stomped the head of Satan and he beat him. 
And so we pray that we can see. We pray that our family members can see. We pray that our leaders can see because that is what will keep us going because we need it. Again, I want to begin my ministry here at Arendelle Bible Chapel with this section because I want you to be aware that us is my honest prayer for each and one, each one, every one of you, your kids, your families, your lives, that you would see and know God. But more importantly, I want to ask that you be praying this for me because I wholeheartedly believe that the depths, are, the depths that are at stake, I wholeheartedly believe that knowing God is the greatest thing for me and my wife and for you. Paul finishes this letter to the church at Ephesus with one last request. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me. That the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. The one who wrote half the New Testament is asking the church at Ephesus to pray for him so he might be bold. I ask that you might pray for me, that I might be bold, that I might love the Lord as greater than anything else. And that's a supernatural thing. Just as much as I pray for you to know the Savior, know and savor God, pray for me that I would know and savor God. Bow with me in prayer. Lord, um, as we go to your word and as we see and savor, savor who you are, Father, I ask that you would work in our hearts, that you would show us your greatness on a daily basis so that we might face the adversary head on. And we might not fear our daily struggles because you are with us and we know you and we know that knowing you is greater than anything else. We have security as, a heavenly fa- as, your, as you are our Heavenly Father. We have love because you have cared and you have sacrificed so much for us. And so we follow you out of that love and security. We follow you because we know that our hope um, is in you and that our hope can, that you can handle that. Lord, I pray for all of us today as we leave here that we would continue praying for each other that we would continue looking to your word to guide our prayers so that the members of Arendelle Bible Fellowship would love you in a greater and deeper way and they would match shine greater and greater um, in greater and greater ways within this community. I pray all this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much, Nick. Um, what a blessing from God. Um, in church right now, as we just keep in mind everything that Nick was sharing with us, let us response uh, let us respond to the Lord in, in worship and in prayer.
you and to live for you, Lord, because you are worthy, Lord. I pray that as we walk out and go on throughout the rest of the week, Lord, that you would genuinely change us, Lord, and remind us of your truth and of your grace and your love. Remind us of your majesty so that we can respond in prayer and in truth. Bring us to your word, God. Bring us to your truth. Bring us to your promises, Lord. That is the cornerstone. God, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are so happy to have you.